his baggy boxer shorts. The man demanded money. She said he could have anything she had. Her purse was in the study. He told her to get it, then followed as she walked naked through the house. She knelt down, pulled her purse from her bag, opened the clasp and shook the contents onto the carpet. They fell with barely a tinkle. There was less than a dollar in coins. Too little. The man did not bend to take it. He ordered her back into the bedroom, told her to switch on the light at the wall and sit on the side of the bed, Roger's side. The spotlight was dim, pooling the upper half of the bed in an old gold glow. He tucked the gun into his pocket and walked towards her. For the first time she saw his eyes, dark, smooth-skinned round the edge, shadowed by the hood. He stood looming over her and put his hands on her shoulders. I stood up and pushed him back, and I said, No, I can't go through with this. I don't want to do this. Did he say anything to you at that time? He said, Come on now, don't get awkward or I will have to get my gun out again. Did he touch you at that point? He pushed me back towards the bed. We were somewhat struggling. After he pushed you back on the bed, did he say anything else? He said, as he was pushing me back, he said, Come on now, I'm as afraid as you are in this. And what happened? He quickly undid his trousers and pulled out his penis and asked me to suck his penis. The prosecutor nods reassuringly. They had met for the first time that morning when he had warned her that she would have to describe what had happened as clearly and explicitly as she could, that most sexual assault victims choke up when they come to relive the experience in court, can't describe the very private horror in explicit terms. She had just nodded. She could do that, and she had. She had described being sexually assaulted almost as if she were explaining new laboratory protocols to a clutch of trainee technicians. What did you do? I put his penis in my mouth. How long did that activity continue? It was very short. And what happened? He pushed my head back onto the pillow, and he ejaculated on my face and onto the pillow. It had been the worst bit, but at the same time a sign that her ordeal might soon be over. The man was pulling up his trousers, backing out of the room, warning her not to tell the cops. As soon as she could no longer hear him, she rushed into the bathroom and locked the door, splashed water on her face over and over, soap, a rough towel, brushed her teeth. She pulled on a clean white shirt and a pair of trousers, then took a step out of the bedroom. She checked the study, the sitting room, the kitchen. She noticed that the sliding window over the sink was wide open, the mosquito screen had gone but there was no sign of the man. She opened the front door. The short, tree-lined street was quiet, muffled by a carpet of blossoms. She stepped out. What had always seemed friendly now was a threatening maze of shadows. She ran to the next-door house, banged on the door. No one answered, nor at the next one. The third door she tried was opened by a young man. She knew him by sight. Would you mind if I came in for a minute? A man has just broken into my house and attacked me. She sat down with his girlfriend while he called the police. The station was only a couple of blocks away. They would be right over. Then she called a friend and asked him to come and take her away. Next to the prosecutor, a compact, round-headed man scribbles notes on the pad in front of him. He is a familiar face to Helena Greenwood, Detective Steve Chapu, the investigating officer in the case. They had met first two days after the assault, 
when the taste of her attacker, like foul metal, stuck to the back of her mouth, when she could still see his eyes if she closed hers. She had told the detective then that she was prepared to pursue the case, and over the following weeks and months that resolve had not wavered. I would like to direct your attention to the man who is seated in front of me. I would ask that the record reflect I'm standing behind the defendant. Have you ever invited this man into your home? The district attorney is talking again, but she's forced to drag her eyes to his, the defendant, David Paul Frediani's, face. It is the first time she's seen the man the police believe to be her assailant, and she finds it hard to look at him without prejudice. All she can see are her memories of two dark eyes piercing through the shadow of a hood. She pulls herself back and looks again. He is staring at her, sitting back in his chair with an expression that conveys a complete lack of interest. She notices that he has scratched his right cheek so hard it has left red marks. No. To your knowledge, has he ever been in your home? No. Do you know this man? No. She keeps looking, but she cannot even recognize the eyes, not in the whole face. But maybe she has seen him before, or is this just a trick of the brain, dating an instant memory like a tea-stained piece of parchment? She's finding it hard to trust her mind these days. She's more jumpy, less sure of herself. She starts at falling leaves where before she used to chase them, sees ghosts in every shadow. She hates being alone. She's been to see a counsellor who said she had fears regarding her vulnerability. She's never considered her vulnerability before, but if she isn't safe in her own locked house on a quiet street in one of the wealthiest suburbs of San Francisco, then where is she? Not on her frequent business tours of Europe, staying in strange hotels, being driven by unknown taxi drivers, maybe not even hiking in the Sierras with Roger. What match is he for a man with a gun? She glances at her husband, sitting in the gallery behind the prosecutor's table, on an old cheap wood chair. The pain and confusion of the last year is embedded in his brow. He is looking at her intently. She knows he was nervous before the hearing, even though he tried to hide it had felt powerless in his spectator's role, angry at what she had to go through, what she had been through, was still going through. In a way, it was easier for her, sitting here, answering the questions put to her, hiding her emotions beneath a cloak of scientific detachment and precision. At least now, in this courtroom, she's doing something to try to bring a halt to the nightmares, recriminations, uncertainties that had followed her ordeal. It is not that simple, of course, Every time she looks at the man who has been fingered as her attacker, she feels a part of her freeze. His stare bores into her stomach, crawls along her arms and down her back. After he left, did you examine your residence? The DA is still asking questions in his gentle voice, almost caressing in its matter-of-factness. Yes. Did you notice anything different? The kitchen window was wide open and the mosquito screen had been removed. Were there any other items that you normally kept near the kitchen window? Yes, our teapot and other small items with flowers in them. He picks a white teapot off his desk, brings it over to the witness stand, and asks her if she can identify it. Even though she hasn't seen it for over a year, it is as familiar as her cream M.G. Roadster. She and Roger had brought the teapot back after a visit to England just two years before, 
and they'd used it constantly. Seven years in California had not dented their addiction to tannin and the customs of home. They had taught the love of tea to Thomas and Patricia Christopher, their closest friends, like family in a country where they had none. It was to the Christophers that she had turned in the absence of her husband, frightened and disturbed after the attack by the armed intruder. She had called them from her neighbour's house. Patricia had answered, she was pregnant, due any week, and when Helena had told her what had happened, she'd passed the phone to Thomas, who was already out of bed and half-dressed by the time she had a chance to explain. I'm coming right over, he had told her. When he walked through the door barely forty minutes later, she was flooded with emotion. She was sitting on the sofa, giving a statement to the woman police officer. The sight of a familiar face was almost too much. All she wanted was for him to take her away from the house, across the bay, to somewhere she felt safe. He sat down and held her hand, and when the policeman had finished, Helen got in his car to go to the hospital, where she was subjected to a sexual examination. It was like a reprise of the indignity. She was told to strip, then poked and pried by strange fingers, this time under antiseptic hospital lights surrounded by figures dressed in green. Swabs and samples were taken of her blood and saliva. She was sent over to talk to the on-duty crisis counsellor, made to fill out sheaves of forms before she was allowed to leave. It was three in the morning when they got back to the Christopher's house in Oakland. Sleep was not really an option, but she went through the motions, and the next morning the three of them had breakfast in the garden. It was another sunny day, the San Francisco weather out of sympathy with her feelings. Why? she asked over and over. Did it have to happen when Roger was away? And 